Father, as we look into the Word this morning, Father, I ask the grace of God to be poured out. Father, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, You would pour out grace in this place. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that You would touch each heart here, even as we're going to be covering topics that in many ways are considered delicate. Father, but Jesus just threw it right on out there. And Father, I pray that You give us grace and discernment. Father, there is nothing in me that can bring this forth in a right way. So Lord, I pray for the grace of God to be poured out. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Okay, we are continuing in Matthew chapter 5. And last week we finished up with verse 25 and 26 of Matthew chapter 5, which say, Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. And how we talked about how we should be a non-litigious people, not always looking for a lawsuit, but looking to forgive. And our argument may well be, well, this person has done me wrong. Well, that's when we are to walk in forgiveness. And remember, as it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. For God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow with a litigious attitude, you will reap the same. If you have a litigious attitude, you yourself will be sued. And the scriptures say that you won't get out until you have paid up the last cent. And it may well be just because you are the believer that these things will come upon you if you have a litigious attitude. So remember, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. Now let's move on down to verse 27 of Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. You know, as I was meditating on this this past week, I was trying to think of a portion of Scripture where Jesus was more emphatic about anything, about any topic, than the words that He said here. Arguably, this is the most emphatic portion that He preached upon, that He spoke of. Now, some may find another verse that might be equally as emphatic, but certainly not more emphatic than this. It's interesting that Just a few minutes ago, Roger spoke on a very similar topic. And I heard that this week on campus, the BSM lunch was speaking on a similar topic. I have 
I finished a, a, a teaching on scriptural sexual ethics that, that, that's now up on my website. And if you haven't heard that, I encourage you to listen to that. And that was recorded separately from what I did in this class. And I added a lot more in the web-posted uh, uh, version than what I did in class. If you struggle with sexual sins, I encourage you to listen to that. You know, when I got done with that, even when I was in the middle of that, I met someone on campus and I introduced myself and they said, oh, yeah, you're the guy who only talks about sex. So, you know, I, I come with a six-week teaching and I'm branded as the guy who only talks about sex. So I was actually glad to get done with that teaching and move on to other things. But here it is again before us. Jesus is quite emphatic here. Again, he has raised the bar from just committing of adultery to lusting after a woman in one's heart. He equates that with the committing of adultery in the heart. And then look at what he says in verse 29. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it's better to lose one of the parts of your body than for the whole body to go into hell. Absolutely emphatic. How do we deal with this? Young men, if you have trouble with internet pornography, you are not alone. And you are not alone among believers either. And I encourage you to either... Never use your computer while you are alone. So in other words, you only use your laptop in the library or when your roommate is around. Or you pluck out your eye and throw it from you. You have a choice. The scripture is quite emphatic about what we are to do when we have a problem in this area. Because Jesus knows what it will bring into our marriage. Women, pray for your future husband that he does not struggle with pornography. And if he struggles with pornography now, don't think that, well, when he has me, he won't need pornography. It will follow him directly into marriage. The things that men struggle with before marriage, they bring into marriage with them. It must be dealt with. And I don't judge you on this. I have struggled with these issues myself. And I've put all of that up on my internet site in these teachings. And I encourage you to go through it. And in fact, I go through and read through this teaching again and again in my own life. Because I want my life to be free of committing of adultery in my heart. This is something that must be dealt with in the lives of believers. Many women do not know the depths with which young men struggle in this area. And young men, I tell you, if you struggle in this area, you are not alone. There are many that struggle with you. But there is a way to overcome. And I spell it out in those teachings quite precisely, exactly how you can overcome and you might say, well, I listened to the teachings and it did me well. But now, I still struggle with it. 
Well, then go back through the teaching. That's why it's there. Go through it again and again and learn the prayer again that you pray. Lord, I thank you for the beauty of this woman. She has been made in the image of God. May I never use her as an object of my own lustful gain. And by the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, take that which is twisted in me because of sin and untwist it. And Lord, help me to see my own sexuality rightly. And the prayer for women is there too. That they might not use this man as an object for their own emotional gain. By taking advantage or physical gain. How we need to pray that prayer. Jesus is emphatic about this because he probably realizes there is a problem that people struggle with. And it leads to great hardship in marriage. And the beautiful thing about talking with college students is the vast majority of them are unmarried. And you can start out correctly. It's much better to start out marriage correctly than to have to fix it. And it is there. So I encourage you to go back through that teaching. Put it on your iPod and listen to it. Let's look at verse 31. It is said, Whenever, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus expands on this in Matthew chapter 19, so let's turn there. And we're going to spend some time on this because at least half of you have come from divorced homes. And the vast majority of you will, become, will get married someday. And statistically, more than half of you in this class will undergo divorce. More than half of you will undergo the pain of divorce. And this is why we need to learn what the Scriptures have to say about sex and about marriage. And I encourage you to go through the teachings that I had already taught on this, in this area. Let's see what Jesus had to say about divorce. See what the Scriptures say. And if you have a different interpretation, that's fine. I am going to share with you what I see from the Scriptures from my studying these passages for years, because many people have come to me and asked me, what do the Scriptures have to say about divorce? And we will go through it together. Matthew chapter 19, verse 1. And when Jesus had finished these words, He departed from Galilee, and He came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed Him, and He healed them. And some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Now let me say that in, in, in this beginning part, that this question of theirs was not just an innocent question where they really wanted to know. They were testing him. The Pharisees were testing Jesus. Jesus was in a location beyond the Jordan Valley called Perea. Perea was under the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the man who had John the Baptist beheaded 
because his wife Herodias got upset about John the Baptist challenging them on the validity of their marriage. Because Herod Antipas had married Herodias, Herodias was actually married to Herod's brother Philip. Yet he married Herodias. And John the Baptist challenged him on this, told him how wrong it was. He had John imprisoned, and then Herodias, the woman, didn't like it at all, and through her daughter had this man beheaded. And so this was to have Jesus commit himself in one area where he too could be beheaded. So the question itself wasn't innocent. Nevertheless, let's go through it. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, is the passage that the Pharisees are referring to. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, which is the fifth book of the Bible, and it says this in that, in that passage. Deuteronomy 24, 1, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she, that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And if the latter husband turns against her and writes a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of, her, of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife. So in other words, it says if the man is displeased with her for some indecency and then gives her a written release of divorce, she then is free to go and to marry another man. Always in the Old Testament, once a woman was divorced, she was free to remarry, as we see in this portion. And this is the portion they're making reference to. There are two camps among the Pharisees. There were two schools. There was the Shemaiah school, which said that that written release of divorce for indecency could only come because of some uncleanness in fornication. Fornication means not just adultery, but it means sex outside of marriage. It means homosexuality. It means lesbianism. It means bestiality. It means incest. It means rape. It means uh, um, any sort of, of sexual immorality such as incest, any one of these can be lumped under fornication. And in the New Testament, the word here that's used for immorality in, in the King James is, is in fact fornication. And when Jesus makes reference to that word uh, immorality, if you have like a New American Standard and you look in the reference in, in the margin, it'll say literally fornication. There were two schools. Shammai school said uncleanness and fornication. The Hillel school said for any reason whatsoever... And in reading some of the things that were written, if you didn't like the way your wife cooked your dinner, you could divorce her. And their reasoning was Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 onward. And so they asked Jesus for his opinion. And in verse 4 he says, Have you not read that he created them from the beginning, and he made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they shall no longer be two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they, then they said to him, such and such. So Jesus' first and only reply until they pushed him further was, let me tell you, from the beginning, it was never meant to be that way. What God has put together, the two becoming one flesh, 
God never intended for them to separate. And He stopped there. He said it was never the intent for them to separate. I tell you, I love my wife so much. When I come home and she's not home, something's wrong. The house feels empty. And Shireen will argue it's just because that there's no one there to feed me. Right, Shireen? Isn't that what you would argue? Yes. See, that's what she argues. But that's not the case. That's only a part of it. (laughs) When she's not home, it's just not nearly as happy. And I look all around the house and I find Josiah. Oh, it's just Josiah. Look around. Oh, it's just Ben. Where is mom? (laughs) I want to see my wife. I love this woman so much. We have been through a lot together. We have been to plenty of marriage counselors together. Because if something's not right, we want to get it fixed. I could not imagine what life would be like without this woman. Shireen is a treasure to me. Marriage has taken work, though. It is hard to be married to me. We once went to a marriage counselor and he listened to both of us and he said, Jim, your wife is a normal sinner, but you are a messed up sinner. And I said, then help me. Help me. Whatever you tell me, I will do. And he said, if you have that attitude that whatever I tell you, you will do, I can easily take care of this in a matter of just a few sessions. And he did. If there is an openness to see things resolved, it can be resolved. And I urge you to be open in your future marriages, to be open to seeing things and problems resolved, to be open about your marriage. And men, if your wife says, I think we need to see a counselor, don't think, no, I don't want to see a counselor. I don't want to expose this thing. If you have a problem with pornography, see a counselor. Get some help. And men, I urge you to be the one who initiates going to the counselors. In fact, the vast majority of times I initiated it, I said, we need to get some things fixed up. And I made the phone calls to the counselor. And in fact, the counselors have told me it is very rare for the men to be the one to call, for the men to take the initiative. And men, if your spouse won't go with you, go anyway. By yourself. And may your spouse then follow. But be the man and be the leader in this. From the beginning, it was never meant to have divorce. That is what Jesus said. And he stopped there. And then they pressed him further. And then they said, Why then did Moses, in verse 7, command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? You see what they said? Why did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce? Moses never commanded it. He permitted it. But he never commanded it. It was never a command of God. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. You see this word immorality, again, if you look in your footnote, if you have a Revised Standard Version or a, or a, a, uh, 
a, a New American Standard, it will say this word is fornication. King James calls it fornication. Fornication has any type of sexual uh, uh, misconduct. It is not just adultery. And it says that Moses permitted it, but it was not intended to be this way from the beginning. It was because of our hardness of heart. The vast majority of times, it's there's a hardness of heart where a person refuses to follow the ways of God. If you are a believer, I urge you to take this book and make it a part of your life and to say, I will obey this book even if it pains me. I will obey it. And in the end, you will be blessed. God will see to it that you are blessed. To the extent that you willingly and openly disobey this book, you will be cursed. You will be cursed, the scriptures say. It's not like you will just miss something. No, you will willingly call down a curse from God upon you. And He sees and He knows everything. And I urge you to obey this book. If you are living in sin, I urge you to stop. You will call down a curse upon your life. If you are living in a sexually active relationship and you are not married, you will call down curses upon your future marriage, whether it is to the person you are sleeping with now or the person you will sleep with in the future. I urge you to listen to this book. He says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So in other words, he allows divorce in the case of immorality. And always in the scriptures, in divorce, what I could see was the innocent party was allowed to remarry. Not the guilty party, but the innocent party. Now let me say that Matthew here, if you look in the beginning of Matthew at the little part in the beginning, Matthew was written to the Jew. In Judaism, there was no way for a woman to divorce her husband. Even to this day in Israel, a woman cannot divorce her husband. A husband can divorce a a wife. And sometimes rabbis will urge husbands to divorce this woman because he's a wretched husband. And they need to be apart. But even to this day in Israel, there is no way that a woman can divorce her husband. Jesus stops there. He never talks about a woman divorcing her husband because to the Jew there was no such option. But turn to Mark. Mark chapter 10, verse 10. The gospel according to Mark was written to the Roman. The Romans allowed women to divorce their husband. In Mark chapter 10, verse 10, when Mark picks up on this and starts talking about what Jesus said, Mark brings up the issue that Jesus said something else here as well. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. It works both ways, Jesus says. It is not just one way here. It works both ways. Jesus makes, back in Matthew chapter 19, He makes five points. The first point is this. God's original intent is that there should be no divorce whatsoever. 
There's permanency of marriage. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, it says, God hates divorce. God hates it. That's the first point. The original intent was there, would, was there was to be no divorce. The second point is Moses did not command it, but he permitted it due to the hardness of their hearts. But the biblically highest way always is forgiveness, restitu- uh, restoration, and reunion. The biblically highest way to go is that there be forgiveness, that there be restoration, and there be reunion. Now, there are some marriages where men will refuse to be forgiven in the sense that the woman will forgive them and they'll go and do it again. And they'll go and do it again and again. They'll repeat in this habit. And there are other marriages where the man will forgive the woman for this, but they'll go and do it again and again. The highest way is to forgive. But if there is no turning... It is very difficult to maintain a marriage under those sort of conditions. In Judaistic law, adultery can only be committed against a husband and not a wife. In the sense that, in, in the sense that, I, that I told you, because the divorce was one way. You, you see, in Judaism, that if a woman committed adultery... It wasn't an issue, are they going to stay married or not? The woman was killed. Adultery was dealt with, 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 with seeing the woman killed for adultery. So it wasn't a question, can the man remarry or not? Always a widower or a widow could remarry. That was never a question. So the, the, the problem wasn't there in the Old Testament. They dealt with adultery by killing the adulteress. The fourth thing that Jesus says is there's only one basis for divorce, and that is fornication, meaning immorality. It's not commanded, but it is permitted. This is what I see in the Scripture. Jesus permits it in this case only. The last thing is that there is no remarriage for the guilty party, but Jesus is silent about the innocent party. There is no remarriage for the guilty party. So if a woman commits adultery and that adulterous event leads to divorce, the woman is not free to remarry, but the man is. If a man commits adultery and that adulterous relationship leads to a divorce, the woman is free to remarry, the man is not. Jesus' silence about the innocent party has led many Christian teachers to say there can be no divorce, no remarriage at all, absolutely for either party. I don't see that in Scripture. Jesus was silent about the innocent party. And always the pattern throughout the Scripture was remarriage was permitted. That is what I see. You know, in, in, uh, in verse 9, 19, verse 10, it says, The disciples said to him, If the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. So they're saying if a man can't divorce his wife for any reason, maybe it's better not to marry. And, you know, that's a real defeated view of marriage. And Jesus said that it's only given for some men not to marry. In fact, he's made the vast majority of men to be married. He says in verse 11, 
Not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it's been given. For there are eunuchs who have been born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, that is, men who have been castrated. And there are also eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, it talks about one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to be single. Now, I have heard many people talk about how they're praying for a certain gift of the Holy Spirit, whether that be tongues or prophecy or interpretation of tongues. I have never heard anybody say, I am praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit of singleness. But maybe someone here is praying for that particular gift. But it is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives to some people that they don't seek marriage. And it is a good gift in the sense that they can be more in union and serving in the, in the body of Christ. If you look in the Mosaic Law, meaning in the Old Testament, there were two grounds for divorce in the Old Testament. The first one we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. And that speaks to some sort of incompatibility. Hard to know, there were two separate schools on that, but some source of incompatibility. And a man could send the woman away. In Ezra, in the second one, we see it both in Ezra and Nehemiah. For example, for example, Ezra chapter 10, verse 19. And that's where the children of Israel married godless women, women who were not Jews, and those women were still worshipping foreign idols. They were told to divorce those wives, and those wives were free to remarry. Those were two instances in the Mosaic Law, in the teachings of the Old Testament, where... where, where divorce was permitted. Both of those, both of those have now been negated. Both of those are no longer permitted. The New Testament rescinds both of those. And we'll see what the New Testament has to say. The New Testament in chapter 19, as we just read, says that it can be divorced only on the grounds of fornication. Not on religious, not on religious, uh, I'm sorry, not on any grounds of incompatibility. And the only ground of religious incompatibility is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about the only grounds of religious incompatibility where, where a divorce can take place. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse, um, verse 13. Let's start in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, but it... But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send him away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her husband, her, through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such a case, but God has called us to peace. So in other words, the only time you can have in the New Testament... 
to have divorce in a marriage is in case of fornication in Matthew chapter 19 or in the case where there is a couple that gets married as, as unbelievers and sometime during that marriage one of the two people in the marriage becomes a believer, accepts the Lord. Now, the unbelieving partner does not want to live with the believing partner based on these religious grounds. The Bible says you are free to get a divorce and that you are no longer under bondage. And I take that to mean there is freedom to remarry in that case. But if the unbeliever is willing to live together with the believer, that is the highest way and that is the best way. Those are the only two grounds for scriptural divorce that I can see. Now, there are many other things that happen in a marriage. I am just telling you, this is what I see in the Scripture. So, what happens to a woman who is being physically beaten by her husband? This does happen, you know. I don't think she needs to be in that home with that man. If my daughter were in a home with a man that was physically beating her, I would say, get out. There is no grounds for scriptural divorce that I can see. But they don't have to put themselves in that danger. You may disagree with me, but that's fine. Because I'm not sharing with you my view. I'm sharing with you the scriptural view. The scriptural view, the only grounds for divorce, is immorality. And that is, it's permitted. It's not God's highest way. Immorality. Or, if one of the parties, after marriage, became a believer... So if you are sitting in this class and you get married to someone because they say they're a Christian and you find out they are not a Christian, as far as the Scriptures are concerned, you are not free to divorce them, nor are they free to leave. And you grant them this divorce and you'll never be free again to remarry because you were a believer going into that marriage. This is if the two of you were unbelievers when you got married. And then and only then are you free to remarry. If that, that person left of their own wanting, they, they, they wanted to leave because you now became a believer in that marriage. Then you are free to remarry. If the divorce takes place, other than that, according to the Scripture, there is no grounds for remarriage based on what I see in the Scripture. And no matter how hard and painful it is, and I know that many of your parents are divorced and remarried and didn't fit under this model of what I just said. But all I'm doing is reading what it says. And I don't think you would want me to say it any other way. I'm just calling it as I see it. I gave to you the scriptural passages on it. You can read these yourselves and see where it brings you. And this is why I urge you to be careful about engagement And be careful about marriage. Before Shireen and I ever got engaged, we submitted this to the leadership of the church and submitted it to parents. Your parents have a very good idea of who is good for you. Even if they're unbelieving parents, they have a very good idea. And I would never go against a parent's will on marriage. And when young people come to me and ask me, the first thing I ask them is, What do your parents think? Tell me. Do you mind if I call your parents? I'd like to talk with them. And once I've talked to the parents, 
and I see freedom there from the parents, I feel very relieved because God has given parents this enormous wisdom in knowing what you would like. Even unbelieving parents, God has given them wisdom knowing what will work in the future. And God is able to change the heart of parents as well. I knew a guy who, who went to India on a mission trip. He met this Indian woman who he, who he just absolutely fell in love with. She was a believer and he wanted so much to marry her. He talked to her father and he said, no way. It took him three years of praying to change this man's heart. And he won that guy's heart. He prayed and prayed and prayed. And that guy finally says, you have my daughter. I mean, he won that guy's heart. And I'm telling you, they, are go- they went into a marriage where these two families were supporting them. And to have the support of your families when you get married is absolutely essential and critical to the running of a good home. Because the relationship that you have with your parents while you are married and that your children have with the grandparents means a great deal. I urge you to get the approval of your parents and then get the approval of people around you who you consider spiritually in charge of you. And I suggest Roger and Dr. Landrum and Shireen. They are very good at that sort of thing. But get some, some input from others on this. Because young women, it is very easy to see an attractive young man and to think, this is the only chance I've got. There's not another one coming, I'm sure. And I really want that guy because he's so attractive and I think he knows the Lord. If you only think, then there's a problem. If he hasn't made it absolutely clear by being excited about something in the Scriptures, then wait until he starts getting excited about something in the Scriptures. And men don't get excited about a woman if she doesn't know the Lord and see her interest in spiritual things. See how she serves in the church and in the body of Christ. Does she ever talk about Jesus? Is there ever an interest there? Can you pray together? Now, I know you have to be careful about praying together in, you know, in a bedroom alone. Because it's an intimate thing, you'll, you'll probably end up in bed. You have to be careful about that sort of thing. But when you're sitting at Sammy's or something, you know, and you bow and pray together, Can you study the Bible together? Is there something there? Can you go out and witness together? Is there something there? Do you see them ever praying in prayer meetings? Do you ever hear them? If not, wait. Wait until they they grow up a little bit in the spiritual realm so that you can head off many of these problems. And I have seen many women go against counsel and marry unbelievers or men who just were Christian in name. And a few years later, they weep and weep bitterly. And I have seen it, and I have seen their pain. Don't go against the Scriptures in this. And pray to God. And we submitted this to the church, and I'll tell you in our own lives, in our own lives I'll give you the example. I, I told the leadership of the church, I would not get engaged, because engagement in the Scriptures is quite a binding thing. You do not go in and go out and go in and go out of engagement. I wouldn't get engaged unless we were all in agreement, all the leadership. And, after, and we decided to pray for six months. And for six months, we prayed. 
And after six months, everyone was in agreement except the associate pastor. And I said, then I will not get engaged. And the pastor said, well, wait a minute. Either he's hearing from God or we are. Let's pray another six months. And after another six months, he gave me his blessing. And during that time, during the, that, 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 ta- that time period where we were praying this time, the only times we were together, we were chaperoned, we were with her brother, or we were going out witnessing and doing things like that. Because I didn't want to get overly attracted to a woman that I might not be able to get engaged to. And we have had problems in our marriage, but never, never was divorce a question. Never in my mind was divorce a question. Because I knew God had for us to be married. I had tons of people around me in communion of spirit, agreeing with us in spirit. And it has brought great strength to our marriage. And when our kids were little and they would come home and they'd say, when are you guys getting divorced? All the parents in school are divorced. No, we're not getting divorced. This is not something that mom and I do. We don't get divorced. And they had that security of the home. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, that Jesus was absolutely emphatic about dealing with lustful issues in men. And Father, I pray for the young men here who are struggling with pornography and lustful and fantasy-based thoughts that are full of lust. Father, I pray for deliverance upon them through steps that they will take to deal with it. Father, I pray that they would go through those teachings and that they would pray those prayers and that they would see that Christianity is not a sham, but there is life and success in following Your ways. And Father, I pray for these young people that they would learn the secrets of having a marriage that do not have to go through divorce. Father, I pray that they too, the, the men and the women, would go through those teachings and would see how they can really divorce-proof their marriages. Father, that those statistically, more than half of them are going to undergo the pain of divorce. Father, I pray that each person here would take steps, that they would not fall in that part of people that have to undergo the pain of divorce. Father, save them, I pray. Father, I pray for these precious young women that You would grant for them good husbands in Your time after Your own choosing. Men who would love and honor God and men who would want to raise a family going to church and honoring God with all of their lives. And Father, I pray for the young men here that You would grant them wives that love and honor You. And Father, that they could have peace in their homes. That divorce would never be a question. And Father, I pray Your good blessing to be upon them. In the name of Jesus, Amen.